0: The writing of John Steinbeck was a powerful voice in the American life of the early 20th century. Winner of a Pulitzer and Nobel Prize, this chronicler of California captured the lives of average people surviving the World Wars and the Depression. His first success in literature came with Tortilla Flat, a comedic and allegoric tale of drunken reprobates in a small settlement outside of Monterey, California. Through their goofy adventures in getting the night's wine-drinking fix, These paisanos, as he calls them, give us a window into the human soul, make us laugh, and echo the tales of King Arthur and the Round Table. Tortilla Flat was the book that rocketed its author to popularity, giving us Of Mice and Men, The Grapes of Wrath, and films like East of Eden and Lifeboat. John Steinbeck was a major part of the American zeitgeist for most of his life, so we thought we'd revisit the book that started it all. So, pilfer some cheap item while no one is looking and trade it in at Torelli's for some grappa or cheap red wine. It's time for episode 70 of Toasting the Classics, Tortilla Flat. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic, drink something inspired by the classic, and then decide whether it is indeed a classic. I've got co-father of the podcast, Clint Lanier, here today.
1: Yes, sir. Two fathers for this podcast, as Very 21st
0: century podcast, yes. That's
1: right. That's right. Welcome, everybody. I am Clint Lanier. I am indeed the second father of the podcast.
0: Dave MacArthur. We are going to be talking about a book today, and it was my choice because it fell to me this time. I went with Tortilla Flat, which I, I think originally, when I told people the podcast is coming up, I referred to it as Tortilla Flats, plural whatever right that's probably okay because the book i meant to be reading was actually i think cannery row but whatever so we got tortilla flat same, same author very similar setting um i've never actually read cannery row It was the one that i intended to read this one is much shorter and more manageable so that's probably a good thing what are we what are we drinking this week
1: did we diverge folks we normally uh, kind of formally say this is what we're going to do and so we both get out and go out and, and and get the respective bottles or whatever but we didn't this never happened uh, slipped our minds or something so i am drinking the cheapest red wine i can find at my corner grocery store and i even have a fruit jar to drink it out. oh man
0: that's perfect i wish i had that yeah. now. is that different and, than a uh, mason jar well
1: it's a small mason jar yeah it's just a small okay. little jar that a fruit jar, jar. That, that, uh,
0: By fruit jar that, we mean is it is mason jar like an eastern thing or a southern thing or something yeah. I, that's what i
1: i, I think i, so. like I think that. it's a brand i think mason's a brand of jar they would put like fruit preserves and stuff like that in jars, like Mason jars or whatever. They probably have canned stuff, but if you were to buy jarred stuff, you get kind of a twofer because then you also end up with a glass yeah, <laughs> after you're finished absolutely. with whatever the contents it's were. Like, uh, it's
0: in- like getting takeout Chinese food. You get the Chinese food and then you get an extra piece of Tupperware.
1: Yeah, it's, exactly. It's the, way,
0: yeah. it's the way that I live my life. I don't know if anybody else actually grown up and doesn't do things like that anymore, but I definitely. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, definitely absolutely. Well, it's our, it's our attempt at recycling. So we'll use it until it is just exactly. not usable. And then we'll throw it in the plastic recycling, which in the case That's of something what I'm bears, when
0: you lose the top, in my experience,
1: pretty much. Yeah. I lose the top or it starts getting those pits in it. Cause you, you microwave like yeah. tomato sauce or something in yeah. it and gets those funky little. Yeah. So you're drinking something different though, aren't you?
0: So I got something different, and I had mentioned this at the end of the last podcast, um, so I, if anybody's actually out there, as we say, playing along with the podcast, then they should have grappa, which is, well, you know what? I, what do you know about grappa? I was going to I was gonna get you to help me talk about it, because I'm not sure I 100% have I had it one time, Florence, Italy. I had it because mm-hmm. I, I had heard of Hemingway drinking grappa, so I was like, I mm-hmm. want to try grappa. What is it? And I thought it was nasty. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> you I, didn't like it? I took the top off this. And I smelled it, and it smells like what I remember, um, which I, I mean, I'm not expecting this to be my favorite drinking experience of my life again. Because And it sounds from what it's made of, which is pomace, which is basically the stuff that a rash would probably throw away when they make wine, seeds and stems and skins of the grapes and just the, yep. the junk that you would think should go in the garbage uh, right. is what you make drop of. It makes sense as somebody who's trying to maximize profits, you know, and... Right. and produce as much as you can would use it for something but mm-hmm. uh right it's uh it d- doesn't uh, doesn't appeal from the way it sounds is that a great
1: pun by the way it doesn't appeal no I
0: wish I, sorry. wish I wish I wish was I wish sorry. I was playing three-dimensional chess like that and I, and I, made I that am I am a card. dad
1: by the way so we, we're on the lookout for those puns anyway sorry go
0: ahead um yeah so what I got was a, a grappa I actually had to walk quite a ways um to find a place selling it but this has apparently been around since 1779. The type I have, Bassano, and it says product of Italy, but I'm not getting any more information about that. It's 80 proof that there's something to be nope. said for that. So if it's that's 80 proof normal. and it doesn't taste awful when you just drink it straight, then probably it's pretty good. It looks to me like it's completely neutral. There's no yep. color at all in this. Nope. Uh, I can show it to you if you can see yep. that. I mean, that just what, looks like a vodka or something.
1: That's what grappa looks like. But it's like you know? it's I like I like grappa actually. I think it, okay. it it should have a grape smell to it. Like a musky grape smell?
0: Not a, um, something like that. Yeah. So it doesn't smell like a neutral spirit, I guess is what I'm saying. No. So where would that smell come from? If you distill it, is it leftover after the distillation process? Or is this something, did it age it in?
1: You know, smells are part of uh, the fluid that you put in the distillate. So so you start out with almost a wine. They're taking all the stuff left over at the bottom after they mash up the grapes and they get the grape juice, right? They get the grape juice out and then they might mix some, some sugar or something like that. They'll ferment that. And then they'll turn that, you know, that'll turn into wine. So you got all the junk that's at the bottom, right? That they separated out from the wine juice. And now you got the peels and the pulp and the, and the seeds and the stems, all that stuff, we're going to really masquerade it as much as we can, mix it with water okay. and then fer- and then ferment that. And so what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with like a pretty crappy wine basically. Right. Right. And then you take that crappy wine and you distill
0: it. Um, right. So it's like a very similar process to what you do to create brandy. It's just with a different. That's base. right.
1: That's okay. exactly right. And so it's not going to have, it's not going to have all of the fruit that brandy has, which is why it's not brandy. Right. So it's much more neutral than brandy, but it should have a little bit of the pungency of brandy. I like, I, grappa is really good. There, grappa is actually known by another name in south america it's it's known by pisco so if you've ever oh, heard that, of that is that what
0: pisco is okay that's I've what heard pisco about.
1: pisco is I've so if you've that. ever heard, had a pisco sour ever heard of a pisco sour which is a an amazing drink they make in like peru and chile and argentina
0: there's an 80 to 90 percent chance that we're going to argentina in april so wow oh that that that's fantastic to, that's so.
1: amazing yeah i i uh, i went there back in like 2014 and i've been in love with the country ever since actually all of south
0: america a- yeah cheers so what is so what did you end Here's up my,
1: like i said just I, i've got uh, the cheapest red wine i could find which was a merlot from tisdale winery I'm not drinking any merlot that's yeah my, i'm not drinking Merlot. Not, this, is, this isn't uh sideways so and i found myself like you said a, a little fruit jar which is what which is what the paisanos would be drinking out of so yeah. Every time you turn around, they're drinking a gallon of wine with fruit jars. So
0: gallons and gallons of wine. That's right. So we haven't really said <laughs> much about that. We got into talking about the drink, which is which is fine, which is great. It's led us to start drinking early in the podcast, which I think is conducive to energy. They would
1: appreciate that. Yeah, they would. Yes, they they would right. insist on it.
0: So one of my favorite things they mentioned, and I wish I had this down to memory, but it's it's in the book. There's a whole thing about how the night goes based on how many inches into the first bottle you are and how many inches you are yeah, in the second bottle. Right, it's like, right, right. So right. let's see. We're we're just starting below the shoulder <laughs> shoulder of the first bottle. So right now we should be doing serious and concentrated conversation. I don't know. I think what, so. I don't. It was know measured
1: by it. fingers. So if you're one right. finger below or something like that,
0: pretty soon it'll be sweetly sad memory. So stick around for that. Mm. Uh, in the class Yeah, that should be fun. To- that should be a lot. Of we're fun. we're
1: doing this we're doing this via Zoom, so we can't get into a fight. Which I
0: think no, is towards the bottom no. of the second
1: one or something like that.
0: I have to say, <laughs> I, I've I've had drinks with you many many times. I've never been close to having a fight with you. I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> that's we're, I'm a jolly
1: drunk. So yeah I, yeah, I am a
0: little bit too. I would say I, we know I some people. Uh, we know some people that would not qualify as jolly. Uh, I think. Younger.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, I think some would be more apt to fight. But in any case. Oh, yeah we won't go go into politics
0: also let's be honest that's a young man's game i think like getting real angry when you have a it is
1: it is i get i get more tired nowadays when i get angry so
0: that's right (laughs) these guys the the characters in this book who as you said um, (coughs) paisanos what is a paisano is the paisano is that the actual characters that are i mean do you have to be one of these sort of itinerant wino types or is a paisano like an ethnic class or something i it's unclear to me what that refers to, and I think maybe there's a little. Maybe it's not just me that it's unclear to. You. Maybe it's sort of unclear to everybody.
1: So this is interesting. A paisano is a peasant of Spanish or Italian ethnic origin.
0: Yeah. So the peasants, okay. right? Yeah, that's what paisano it literally. Liter- means, right? Yeah, sure. No, okay.
1: pa- no, paisano literally means us.
0: Paisano means so, us. Pa- yeah, oh, paisano like maybe like paisa. Pais is country. And then those, yeah, it's like our country. It's like people from our yeah, country. It's like, okay, I get that. Or it's
1: I think maybe maybe our community or something like
0: that. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I think it's used to mean like our friends or our community or something like that. A friend, pal, fellow countrymen. Hey, pazama. You know. You
0: know, I um, took an anthropology course one time in college, and the guy told me, he made this statement to the class, he said, in every language, the word for the 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 national people literally just translates as the people yeah and i was thinking about that i was like it's it seems like it's not true with a lot of modern nations but if you boil it down and you go back far enough into history like the french were a tribe called the franks and franks for them just meant Mm -hmm. the people and deutsch just means people and like there's all these it's it's true in every language so anyway
1: yeah i think so navajo i think navajo means the people i think that's what navajo navajo is one of those ones so
0: i this is this is one of my uh, theories of for Native American tribes, the, the, the mm-hmm. name that we as Anglos know for that tribe usually means mm-hmm. jerks in the language of another of another native tribe. Oh, right, because, right. because the whites, right. the whites would come over the hill, they'd be heading from the east into the west, they'd come over the hill, they'd wow. meet a the native people and they'd say, Oh, it's nice to meet you, you know <laughs> who who lives over the next mountain range? And they say, Oh, those jerks? And that would be the word that we would use. Why
1: don't you uh, why don't you summarize the book for those uh because we've got at least three listeners. I think one of them might not have read it.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, people lead busy lives, I'm sure. So this is, yeah, this okay. is a pretty manageable pretty manageable book. I've got the Penguin mm-hmm. edition. What, what did you end up reading?
1: I actually read read it online. You can go to uh, archive.org, find the digital scanned version. So oh, I have nice. a version from like 1952. It was a reprint, the one that was scanned okay. in, uh, which is interesting because they had a, a forward from Steinbeck. Uh, which i'll talk about in a minute but okay
0: okay i've got the penguin classics library edition it's got Mm -hmm. a i would say abstract expressionist type drawing on the front of the Mm -hmm. characters from the book right and uh, mine is about 160 pages so like i said super manageable but the story of this book is these people called the paisanos who are um, they're like a mixture of different ethnic types and they're kind of like lumpen proletariat that live in Monterey, California. Like they don't really have an address to kind of wander around and drink and uh, get into little adventures and work odd jobs and things like that. But one, of, they, they do get caught up in the First World War. Everybody gets drafted in the army, just like everybody else in the country. And when our main character, Danny, gets back from the war, he inherits a house, from, two houses from his grandfather who died. What he ends up doing is getting hammered before he even checks them out and spending a month in jail and then escaping from jail. And nobody seems to be worried about how he escaped from jail. um, He ends up with these two houses, lives in one. And in order to make himself feel better about the responsibilities of having wealth for once in his life, he actually lets his friends live in the other house. And they all sort of end up living together. And there's a series of stories. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I would describe it is it's just a quest to get a hold of wine throughout the entire book. It's just what do you do (laughs) to try to get yourself some wine, whether that means... Mm-hmm. heavy theft or you know short days of labor <laughs> or whether it means the, the thing where they try to manipulate the poor
1: no oh, the pirate the, the pirate. pirate yeah
0: the, no oh the pirate yeah. someone all the dogs that's the same guy okay yeah
1: yeah so yeah the pirate
0: so yeah. uh has been collecting a quarter every day which is was more money than it is today in the nineteen. i guess this would be about 1920 but still not a lot yeah. of money mm-hmm. and uh saving it all up to buy a candlesticks for the church, and so they mm-hmm. they kind of want to glom onto him and get his money and and go through a bunch of uh, persuasive right. persuasive techniques and things to get a hold of it, and then that's it. That's an interesting story because they all end up suddenly finding a conscience and making sure the money actually goes to the church, which I thought.
1: was <laughs> right. right. Well, he, suddenly he trusted them, and that ruined everything. You have a group of a group of friends who were seemingly ne'er-do-wells at the beginning i didn't like them but they so, have a couple a of noble
0: or... episodes like that that sort of make you like them
1: <laughs> well they them. they sort of they sort of do but they sort of evolve there's a little bit of an evolution to them they mature a little bit as the story goes they pretty much their their goal in life is to loaf about and to to drink you know and yeah. chase women if you took friday the movie friday and <laughs> And, and basically plopped it down into into 1935 or whatever this is said, or 1925, you would pretty much have uh, have it. You know, they're just kind of on the front porch. Yeah. They're drinking, people so are walking by.
0: The two main characters, um, not as much because, like, you know, Ice Cube is like a working guy who gets laid off, so he takes one day off to, like, right. you know, get yeah, smoke yeah. pot with his friend. And, and the friend's dealing right. drugs, but, you know, but everybody else in the neighborhood, I told, yeah, they just kind of wander by. The people, the
1: people that come by, out. yeah, the people are wandering yeah. by, stole a bike, you know, all this other stuff. And there's all these mm-hmm. events that happen. And so every chapter in this book is a different event, takes them on. Uh, quest is a good, is a good term. It would be a quest. Everyone is a quest for something else, a quest to get clothes, a quest to get wine, a quest to, to get a girl. Um,
0: to get a girl and, but heard, by buying her a vacuum cleaner that they can't even, plug yeah, her a vacuum cleaner, no <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. it don't even have a motor in it. And then, as the chapters roll on, you get more characters because you have the original two, which are Danny and Pilon,
0: uh-huh.
1: and then they're joined by Pablo, who was in jail. That was a fr- the original of the three, those original three friends. Right. And then you get Big Joe Portugy.
0: I think. Big Joe Portugy. which has got to be he's Portuguese, right? That's gotta be what that I think should. so. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then uh, and then the pirate.
0: And then the pirate, um, right?
1: Then you end up with five people. And then so once you get the group together, so there's a series of events that gets this group together. Now then you have this group together, and that's sort of like when for me the book sort of takes a turn, beginning at Spilon and Danny. Oh no, you have Jesus Maria.
0: Too. yeah he's
1: uh, just so at the beginning you have you have Danny and then pilone and pilone's like always trying to get whatever Danny has Danny is has two houses plus he always seems to have wine and pilone never does a thing but he's a clever guy and Pilon's and so he like, always the, manages... he's like
0: the Odysseus of the group he's always coming up with yes. strategies for doing he's it. coming up with the
1: plans and yeah. strategies to get the wine and he gets it from his friends at first right. which really ticks me off I'm like what a jerk right yep. and uh ruining their plans like Danny, um, he he wants, you know, he wants to date the next door neighbor or something, and they're going to put a stop to it because they're afraid that, that he'll, he'll kick him out because uh, if he dates the next door neighbor and marries her, she'll want, she'll demand rent from them. So he, 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 they keep breaking up his relationships and stuff like that.
0: It's smart. Um, You ever (laughs) have the friend that gets a girlfriend and then it just ruins everything? Like it just right. ruined the <laughs> exactly. dynamic of your friend. Yeah. Really.
1: yeah. Especially when he brings her along on, on your yes. like on yes. your night out. And you're like, oh, what are you doing? Although although so, the um, guy
0: the guy who always brings the girl along is better than the guy that just stops being friends with you because he has a girlfriend. There's that that guy's the worst. The the guy well, that brings true. her along is second worst. And then
1: anyway, so there's a series of events. And then you get to the end, to the middle. And so by the time you get to the middle, all the characters are there. They're all and you know them all, right? They all have a different personality. They all have very unique personalities, and they all have a place, right? Then, by the time you get to the middle, that's when they start doing things together. Uh, like, for example, there was, a, there was a a girl I can't remember her name, but she was the the girl that couldn't figure out how she just kept having babies, right? Oh. And
0: uh, is that the one and, that had the bag of beans and the bag of
1: bag of beans, right? Beans and and, and so <laughs> and so they had to get her food and. Along the way, one of them knocked her up again. Yeah, it's right. just you know, but but start do, carrying out these noble deeds or something. So I was dubious about it, right, at the beginning. But by the end, yeah, I could see the brilliance of of this book. And so this was the book that put Steinbeck on the map. Um, right, he had had a lot of critical failures, I guess you could call them, at the beginning, because um, I think this is like his fourth or fifth book. Um, yeah, I think
0: I think that's true. Um, the other ones are not ones that anybody reads today. He, he Came out with this two one. Two novels that failed, I think, before this. Right,
1: and so this one came out, and this one was his first kind of critical success. Came out yeah, in 19- is- nineteen thirty-five. So it's set post World War One. Right, and I think it's set it's set during Prohibition because they always get wine from this one guy Tortelli, and towards Tomelli, the end yeah, they call yeah, it. Yeah. They call towards the end they call him a moonshiner or a bootlegger.
0: I, so I thought the same that, thing, I had a note because yeah. I was like, is this during Prohibition? Because he gets back in 19, well, it must be 1919 when he gets back from the mm-hmm. army. Uh, he gets right. himself arrested exactly. and That'd all these that. events pretty much take place over the course of, I would say, like a year, I, I don't know. So yeah, it seemed to me like that might have been before Prohibition, but then you could be a, couldn't be, could you be a bootlegger and a moonshiner with just making your own alcohol before Prohibition? Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, of course, yeah, absolutely, you could have. Um, and actually, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that Dry laws were going into effect. So there was a, a law. I can't remember what it was called now. I think it went into effect 1918, maybe. Okay. And it was a federal like, grain security act or something like that, where basically the federal government outlawed beer making or any, any use of grain because they needed it okay. for the war effort. What was interesting is that it was implemented for the war effort after the war was over. That was in effect the year before prohibition went into effect. So that effectively created a, a prohibition because nobody could make beer or whiskey.
0: So we have a big global pinch on grain supplies right now. Have you Have you noticed any mm-hmm. kind of a change in the price of beer or anything like that? Is that has that been happening? I, I don't really... Well,
1: beer has gone... Be, no, beer has gone up. I think in the last, like, two years, it's gone up significantly. Um, okay. I mean, a case of the cheap stuff, which I consider, like, Coors Light,
0: yeah. that's,
1: like, yeah. nine, nine or ten bucks now. <laughs> or in our case, I'm sorry, six-pack. It's, like, nine oh. or ten bucks, or it, it's approaching craft beer level, you know, uh, from mm-hmm. about three years ago. Three years ago, craft okay. beer were, you know, with, like, nine or ten. Now that's, like, 12 or 13
0: because I'm guessing fact. for so, stuff like whiskey it would take a couple of years before you'd see a price shock right because it, they, their stocks are from a couple of yeah, years Yeah, there's ago. stuff in the
1: barrel. Yeah. Everything's in the barrel, but they're they're looking at you know they 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 really do look at you know uh what's going on 5 years from now or 10 years from yeah. now. They're, they're pretty astute on that stuff, especially the big ones, but Yeah, that makes now, sense. Now so so this was this was probably around prohibition at least, but it didn't seem to affect you know a little community like this. No. I think in in most small communities, I think it was it would probably be like this. Like if you wanted a drink, you could get a drink. You know,
0: walk you around with so. a gallon. Especially of wine. agricultural communities where people know how to make their own yeah. alcohol and stuff like that. Would right. why would that affect? I think it was probably only in big cities where it would have been a big, a big issue. You know, although a lot of small towns around America probably would have been dry anyway, all through the Midwest oh. and the South and places. Yeah, like, like that.
1: Kansas kansas had been yeah. dry since like 1912 or something ridiculous like that so
0: if i'm not mistaken there are still dry counties in oklahoma and texas and kansas to texas or are yeah,
1: absolutely yeah because the big billboard that says this county is
0: dry as he, as he if, I'm, if i'm remembering this correctly the 21st amendment is the repeal of prohibition does that sound right mm-hmm. to you so
1: yes that it.
0: one says that the federal government is no longer making alcohol illegal it it reserves right, the right, right to the states and counties to make their own decision. It does not give us a right to drink alcohol. That's not that's not what the 21st Amendment does. That's
1: correct. So. And in fact, it, it didn't even give us the right to make alcohol. That wasn't passed until 1978 when oh. we were allowed federally to make beer and wine. I um, didn't, Jimmy Carter no, was, actually but, signed that into
0: But distillation is still controlled, I'm guessing.
1: <laughs> very controlled. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more about tax revenue, but whatever. What do I know? Probably. We're actually, we're actually the only, just like we can't have kinder eggs in America uh, because yeah, of
0: real kinder eggs, yeah, because right.
1: they, th- they think that, that my 12 year old will stuff the whole thing into his mouth and try to swallow it whole and choke. Right. We're the yes. only developing country that that also actually outlaws distillation too, or developed country, I should say. Yeah. So back to the story though, right. they are, they're getting gallons of wine every single chapter Essentially, it's how do we get some more wine? Uh, they'll sell. They'll sell anything. They'll sell shoes. They'll sell pants. Anything of value. And I guess you know at that time everything was worth something because you know everything uh, took a lot of time to make back then, right? We're in such a consumer society now that we don't think about how how difficult it was to buy things and get things back then. But I mean, yeah. they would every little scrap of metal they would get and sell. And, and
0: yeah, the, there's a part where they think they're trying to find some treasure. And there's a night, like a saint's night, I think, where treasure, buried treasure will be a, a light will shine down on it. So they're off in the woods looking for mm-hmm. it and they find, you know, they, they see a light. So they go and they hang out and they dig. Sorry, they don't dig right away. They wait until the next day so that nobody else will be able to see where they're digging. And then they go back mm-hmm. and they dig and find a U.S. geological marker.
1: And, <laughs> right,
0: right. You No, know, And I was thinking to myself, well, I guess, gee, are you going to try to take that? But then they're like, no, somebody else took that and he got arrested yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pilo, goes,
1: he, he took it as $1,200 fine and a year in jail or something yeah. like that. He was crying when he was there. Yeah. But it's a really funny, you know, it's a funny, entertaining book. Um, yeah. You laugh at these guys, these guys as escapades.
0: A big question for me. Are we laughing with these guys or at these guys? What's the verdict there?
1: I don't think it's either of those. I think you're laughing at okay. So Pilon would, would, was the clever guy, and he would come up with these arguments about why taking somebody's wine was a good idea. Right, like I should take his wine because if I let him have that wine, he'll be kicked out of his house, and then I wouldn't want my friend to be kicked out of, or whatever. You know, kicked out of his right, house. Right, right. But he would tie himself up in a pretzel with this logic and you and you it may, it's funny that's meant to laugh at here and i don't think you're laughing at a condition i don't know it was just funny and i think that's meant to be funny and i don't think you know it it's necessarily a statement about any particular people although these you know i, I think it's more of a statement of what people do i mean this is sort of a human condition type of
0: book you know yeah. a lot yeah, of I this think, is, i think is, i think the general principle is if you're laughing at them you're laughing at The fact that human ingenuity can be turned to something so mundane as trying to get yourself a gallon of wine you know you're you're talking about the same kind of brain that's capable of writing a symphony or or putting a man on the moon but the the same kinds of brains just are just being put to justifying rationalizing and then making stealing (laughs) of wine possible you know so Yes, it's just as, just as much thought going into those processes. So there was there was some things I read that said that the reason this book was so popular was because everybody just needed like an escapist fiction during mm-hmm. the Great Depression. Like, just w- what if we did have all yeah. these worries? You know what? What if we didn't have yeah. money worries? What if we just spent all day bumming around this town and tr- and living in the moment yeah. and trying to get a hold of mm-hmm. wine? And I could see why that would be appealing to people in a way. I could see I could see that sort of uh, comedic. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, did you? I felt
1: myself like kind of riddled with anxiety and nervousness. I was about thinking this kind say, of lifestyle. I was, I was just you know?
0: about to say that. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean,
1: it, it was like this. Like I don't every find day. it to be escapist. No, not at all. It, no. It's like yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, oh my, because but I'm coming from the perspective like I have kids to feed. I have a right. mortgage to pay for. What would it be like if you had no worries at all? You didn't have a credit card. You didn't have a student loan. You had nothing. I mean, sure, you didn't have anything to your name, but you also didn't have any responsibilities. At that time, you didn't even have a social security number. You were completely off the grid, man. You know, people pay a lot of money nowadays to be off the grid. And these six characters, or five characters, however many there were, these guys lived, their lives were off the grid. Everybody's was, right? So- Totally. But I was so like nervous. I was thinking stupid things too. I'm like, "How does he pay property taxes?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, "I thought that you know, too. You know, I thought that too. Like, he inherits a house, stupid right? stuff. Like, right? Because he do not have any money, but he inherits two houses. And then like, I think this is so one of the houses. You know, you know how one of the are, burns burns down, and I'm thinking like, well, you can't just walk away from a burned down house. What about the lot? You know, he still right. owns the lot, right? You still own <laughs> a piece. Of all land. these stupid yeah, questions yeah. that I have. Right? But I'm thinking from 20, 2023 perspective of <laughs> having a house, having a mortgage, having student loans, having credit card right. bills, all those other stuff and it was like, how do you do this?
0: Yeah, it was hard it was hard for me to just lose myself in that because to me the guy's house burns <laughs> down and I'm stressed out by it. I'm like, oh, I'm not like that's'd mm-hmm. be so upset. I don't know. maybe I'm just the escapist value of it isn't really hitting me. but I think about this a lot because people like post-apocalyptic fiction, right? And it's like, right. the first thing, you know, because you're wondering yourself, oh, what would I do? How would I manage to survive? You know, and that, that kind of thing compels you to some extent, but I, I'm just like, oh, it'd be horrible. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have
1: <laughs> Well, I was just, so I was just thinking that like, if, if, if everything would to pot, right? If it was the right. apocalypse. Yeah. I think the first thing that would go through my mind is like, do I still have to pay my credit card bill? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Will the government come after me if I miss my student loan payment? right you know are they going to are you know i mean these are stupid things to think but about that sounds about like what you we think some, about
0: right you need some escapist fiction it sounds like you need to <laughs> kind of get away from that stuff I, you know, just-
1: I i guess yeah well but it's just it's just hard to have that different perspective right but if you think of those reading so published in 1935 it was a huge success and it mm-hmm. sold like 400,000 i don't know it sold a ton of copies maybe not yeah, maybe i'm thinking lot. of grapes of wrath but but it, it sold a lot and but in 1935, you could still relate because those people didn't have a social security number because social security right. came by in like 36, 37.
0: Your um, average person was not that far beyond the material level of these people. Yeah, just, I mean, like they, 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 a, yeah. everybody was still sort of off the grid. You know,
1: there's no credit cards. There's Very few people have loans. Although, you know, a lot of people got got screwed by the Wall Street when it crashed. But but I think your average person that just had worries, I mean, if you, if you had a farm, in the west or something you could really relate or you lived in a farming community like here where, where you used to live where i live las cruces New right. mexico there was probably like six thousand people here at that time and, and everybody was a farmer they could relate to these people you know because they I could still thinking,
0: relate we can't but i was really thinking about about las cruces and specifically messiah I kept thinking about Messiah I think I pictured mm. the streets of Messia when I was reading this book. Like, even though I'm sure yeah. obviously Tortilla Flat is supposed to be far more rural and no electrification and dirt roads and things like yeah. that. But I the houses, I guarantee, would look familiar in Messiah Like the same right. kind of adobe rundown shacks, you know, that, <laughs> right? right. I, I looked at I looked at one and I'm not even kidding. When we were moving to Cruces, we looked at a house that had a dirt floor in part of the house. And they yeah, wanted three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I was gonna say, yeah. I was gonna say, a rundown,
1: a rundown mud yeah. house in in Masia is worth a half million bucks easily, yeah. if not well yeah. over that. So
0: absolutely, um, yeah.
1: just a, it's a different perspective. Which I don't know why I had such a struggle with it because I like I don't read stuff said in like the seventeenth century and think, oh my god, how could they do that? I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why I had such a
0: well, you know, like okay. anything, anything in America post Civil War, I think you can sort of relate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the same sort of things yeah. going on, the same kind of language being spoken, and the same kind of modern concerns and stuff like that. So it's pretty easy to put yourself in the shoes of somebody. I would say any time from like 1865 to the present in America, you're going to mm-hmm. relate to those people to some sure. extent. You know, I could, anything yeah. before that, I think the world gets kind of weird, and you know, there's there's no sure. trains, there's no phones, there's no you know, things are getting. To be very differently, like someone from the American Revolution. Like, I don't know what their life is like, you know, it's that's pretty right, <laughs> right, right,
1: 19- right. My bit grandfather
0: crazy. was born in 1907. That's it's a long time ago, but I can kind of relate to it, you know, to, to some extent. So, I could put myself, yeah, in the shoes of one sure, of the more sure. normal people living in this town, maybe not these guys. I swear, going yeah, to yeah. patio. And getting a drink at patio, you might run into one of these paisanos. Like, this would be a character that would right. absolutely fit in in the Sia. Or, like, Tortuga or someplace like that in in Las Vegas. Yeah. Like, there's definitely people. But like I think that. you're I, I
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Well, so my my in-laws, mom.
0: It's a pretty it's a pretty big question to ask. I think people will be thinking about I mean, him. is a white dude. Yeah. This is an Anglo dude. Mm-hmm. And, this, and the characters are all of Latin descent, or at least paisanos, whatever that means, a different mm-hmm. mixture of things. So... What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so, but
1: okay. I'm not. I am not one of those who looks at everything and says, you know, that's racist. I I, I just don't do that. Right. It's a good question though, and I think it's an important question because there there is there are a lot of people those who are very sensitive to finding racial undertones and everything say that this is a racist book. He wrote himself in the uh, reprint that that I read, okay. or this is what he wrote rather in his forward. Sure. Uh, he said, this is what Steinbecker said. When this book was written, it did not occur to me that paisanos were curious or quaint, dispossessed or underdogish. They are people whom I know and like, who merge with their habitat. In men, this is called philosophy, and it is a fine thing. Had I known that these stories and these people would be considered quaint, I think I never should have written them. If I have done them harm by telling a few of their stories, I am sorry. It will never happen again. Mm-hmm. So, what happened is is he wrote this 1935 it came out, and I think what happened is there was a crowd of elitists who said, "Ha, ah, look at these stupid people. Look how dumb they yeah. are. Isn't that funny what they do?" And they didn't see it like I see this more as like a human condition. Like this is a human story, not a story of Mexican, you know, ancestry, Hispanic, whatever. I don't see that. I see this as this is anybody acting like this you
0: know because doesn't i mean and i think that you know as you say a lot of people are really really quick to see race and everything and, and see but i think it's something that needs to be grappled with that this could definitely be seen as being like a like the mexican equivalent of a minstrel show it's like laughing i at think you. i i think some it could dumb, be some dumb yeah, I, I it, guys you know well that,
1: and i but you know i i agree yes absolutely it could be but i think you could do that with anything. If all you have a hammer, everything's nail. And
0: I think that that would have occurred to me 20 or 30 years ago. I don't, I don't think you need to live in our acutely racial times to, to think mm-hmm. of it. I think it's a question that needs to be asked. I, I, I'm not sure where I fall on it. I, I don't know. I'm not sure whether I think he's making fun of these guys or whether, because some of the things they do are like really stupid. You know, like they bring the lady all the food and leave it on her porch and it all just rots away because they can't think about <laughs> right. tomorrow. They can't think about tomorrow at all. You know, yeah, but then there's yeah. other times when they behave nobly. I, you know, so I don't. I'm not sure where I fall on it. Honestly, I'm not sure what. Well, he does. think of think of it this way. And This is this was actually really kind
1: of eye opening to me, and it makes sense that this was essentially he was using he was retelling the King Arthur tales. Yeah,
0: I know. With, I was about to bring with that this up. group. I was about okay. to bring that up as part of my conclusion and, on it. But right, yeah,
1: right. And and so and so they go on quests and they and they do noble deeds. But they're stupid, right? <laughs> they right. do they do they they make they make some dumb mistakes. Right. Again, I think you could you could you could make all of these white Southerners, you know, or white anybody, white New Yorkers. You have got dumb white friends, and I have got dumb white friends. Maybe I'm your dumb white friend. I don't know. But I mean it doesn't matter. If you get a group of friends I mean, I'm nodding together.
0: vigorously, by the way, for the podcast. <laughs> right.
1: I don't know which one. I'm not going to ask which one. You know, if you if you have if you tell the story, any, you could tell the story with anybody. That's why I think it's more of a human yeah. thing. Right. And I think that's how he saw it. Now that he wrote it.
0: Before I forget this thought, though, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to. So you, you'd be like somebody would tell a story. Woody Allen puts together a movie about rich, uptight Jewish New Yorkers, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. first of all, that's his piece. So to some extent, it's because Steinbeck is obviously Anglo and he's kind of different mm-hmm. than these people. But let's say you wrote it about your own group. You know, Mm -hmm. like uh, Something's Wrong with Fleischman is all about uptight Jewish people on the Upper East Side written by somebody who's an uptight Jewish person on the Upper East Side, so fine. But to some extent, I think it's considered okay because you're punching up. These are rich people who have the world at their Mm -hmm. fingertips, you know? So if you were really Mm -hmm. making fun of these poor, basically, alcoholics, that would be pretty ugly. But the thing you were saying about the Knights of the Round Table, the fact that it's an allegory for that, I think means that he sees nobility in these people. It, I think it, so. You know, I, I mean, he, you know, like, so I don't think he's punching down and, and putting together a minstrel show about these people at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Well, so, so this is this is a question I
1: have. OK, so I was raised on the Mexican U.S. border. Now, if you're Hispanic, you know, there's a particular kind of group of people that that identify with that. OK, I'm not Hispanic. Uh, however, I was raised here. I was brought up here. I'm married to a Hispanic. Kids are white, you know, half Hispanic. So wh- where is my place? What am I supposed to do? Can I not talk about my Hispanic friends or my Hispanic family or anything like that? Am I al- not allowed to because I'm white? He was he was raised with these people. His his dad was a teacher. Wait, no, one of his parents was a teacher. I mean, they're blue collars. Is my point? They weren't. They had. They didn't have a lot of money. They're like farmers and teachers and stuff like that. He worked on a on I think a sugar beet farm in when, in his teenage years, and he worked with people that he. Called the paisanos. right? And
0: apparently uh, these and his were wife, his... when they first moved in together were like uh lived by petty theft, like yeah, stealing right. the and things yeah. from so, grocery stores I mean, These so,
1: were these were his people. Yeah, he was white, but these were his people. And so that's why, you know, in that statement, he said, they are people whom I know and like who merge with their habitat. They they are his people. Like and and so he was Did you ever
0: hear the story? Did you ever hear the story about how Dave Chappelle ended up quitting the show, his his show on Comedy Central? It was like Jordan. he had put together this show, which you know, really, like in a very insightful and 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 brilliant way, pointed out a lot of ridiculous crap about race in America. Like, because mm-hmm. about half of the content on the show was just doing that. Yeah. But he was giving a show one time in front of a live audience, and he made mm-hmm. one of these jokes, and this white guy in the front row, some like you know, some some Chad. You know, sitting in the front row and just with his baseball cap turned backward, just falling over his chair laughing. And all of a sudden, Dave Chappelle got hit with like a thunderbolt. He was like, oh, my God, these clever things that I'm saying about like race and my own people in general. And I'm not meaning to crap on my own people are being taken by that guy. And that guy's enjoying the perspective of just just laughing at black people. And he said that's why he walked away from the show. And I think that's kind of what John Steinbeck is expressing in the, the forward that you're talking about, which is I a regret so. that he's like, I thought of this as almost like being my people, you know, like, even yeah. though, yes, they're they're Hispanic and I'm not, but, you know, kind of grew up in the same place and we kind of lived the same way and on the edge of society and stuff like that. And I thought of Sean, but uh, maybe a lot of the people that were being entertained by it were just falling off their chair laughing at- Maybe so, I, you know, you know and, I so. don't have
1: the answers for th- these questions. I mean- No, no, no. It occurs to me that like, Don Quixote, you could make fun of him. Cervantes was Spanish. So, I mean, yeah. and so is Don Quixote. It doesn't matter, right? You, could, did, you, you know, can have, did you know
0: Steinbeck lived in a camper for a while called Rosanante? Named really? after Named after Quixote's horse.
1: Yeah, how about that? That was kind of cool. See, it right. all comes back around. But my, my point is Don Quixote was a, was a stupid figure that you could make fun of sure. and laugh at. Um, sure. and, and, and make him represent this, you know, the Spanish people and the Spanish idea of chivalry and heraldry and everything else yeah yeah and sure. cervantes cervantes was spanish you know
0: so I mean, he was probably i, I don't i, I, I don't think, actually know terribly much about cervantes as a person but i'm guessing he was probably fairly noble probably an upper class spanish i wish i knew more about it
1: well perhaps but don quixote is skewering the nobility
0: absolutely of Spain, yeah. right yeah, so and, he's making and, fun of his own class i'm saying you know
1: perhaps i will say this though i think i think you could write anything and there will be a group of idiots that will read it and will take it out of context oh yeah misread misread what you know
0: what you you say i think a lot of people like the deconstructionist trick that like derrida taught the world right where you can just mm -hmm. take any text and you can divide it by its assumptions i think there's a lot of people today who live by the fact that they've learned to use race as a way to deconstruct literally everything anybody says. And they've yeah, sort of tricked the world into listening to them and making them think they said something smart by right. applying a racial lens to things. And you can always do it logically, you can, you can I can do it. I mean, Absolutely, I've, I, I've you learned, find I can do it. But. Yeah. It, it isn't necessarily always the most important thing about a text or worth talking about. I just thought I'd bring it up because in, in this case, I think it'd be kind of like the elephant in the room if you didn't mention it. I mean, it's, you no, know. I
1: think so. I, I think so. But I think I guess I'll put it this way. At the beginning of the book, I didn't like these guys. Uh-huh. I didn't like Pilon. I thought Pilon was dastardly and, you know, kind of yeah. evil for, for yeah. pricking everybody and so forth. OK, I suppose so. Yeah, But by like. The last quarter of the book or third of the book, I had really turned around. There's an episode in there where the pirates orders, you know, duffel bags. There's an episode in there when they come home and the duffel bag was missing. And they look at each other and they all knew right away that that Big Joe had done it. And so they said, "Okay," didn't say a word. Everybody got got like, a, 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 yeah, a, a, a club and this and that. And they just waited for him to come in, and they beat the crap out of him for taking their friends because it's a group, right? Right. So for violating the community structure, they beat the crap out of him, you know. And then afterwards, they forgave him, got him up, gave him some wine. By by that time, you know, my opinion had completely changed about these guys. They were people, right? They were just guys. Yeah. Well, they have they have
0: a code, right? There's like an honor. There's like a code yeah. of honor that all these guys have. And it's very much like, I don't actually know terribly much about the myths of the Knights of the Round Table, but I know that people fantasize about this time, but you think about it and you're like knights and warriors and things like that the middle ages, they're all murderers. Their job is murderers, right? right? But what you fantasize about is you're like, but they have this code. They're killers, yeah. but they have this code. And that's that's fascinating to people. And so I think in that sense, there's, a, there's an air of chivalry in these guys because they're mm-hmm. like, no, we have to get this candlestick to the church. I mean, yes, yeah. yes, right. we'll steal from anybody that turns their, up, turns their back on a jug of wine. But right. this money is dedicated to the church and to the saint who's going right. to, you know, who saved this guy's dog for ten minutes mm-hmm. before it got run over by a truck. <laughs> right.
1: But see, that's funny. I mean that that right there that Here's the definitely the, the, the irony twist the ironic twist is funny. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be any color. It's no, just no, funny. No, no, no. no, no, no. no? Yeah. No.
0: At worst, you're laughing at a very silly code of ethics, right? But you respect the right. code of ethics. Right. I think well, I'm the saying most- just
1: that, just that, just that particular. Just that particular episode, where you know, I, I pr- so I prayed to th- to San Francisco to save the dog, and he did. Oh, he did. Yeah, but then he got killed minutes <laughs> later. He got run over. <laughs> he's like, but well, he's still dedicated to buying this thing for San Francisco spent, for saving I mean, the dog.
0: It's a quarter like, a day, a quarter a, a day thousand. A it was
1: a a thousand
0: thousand, thousand quarters. quarters. So two hundred and fifty yeah. a thousand quarters. So you're talking about almost three years. The guy was saving a quarter every yeah. day and not spending it on right. anything. Yep. Because yep. of this dog, that's a pretty that's it a dedication. you have to respect right. that <laughs> it. Is that's like wandering around the wastes of medieval Britain looking for the holy grail, you know? That's like exactly that level that's of exactly right. to something very quixotic, right. as it were. I think there's really that. I thought one of the most sympathetic parts for me was the funeral because at the end of the mm-hmm. book, and this this tracks to the story of King Arthur, from what mm-hmm. I know of it, at the end of the story, Danny just kind of suddenly starts pining away. He goes on this drinking rampage then starts pining away and then just dies and it's very unclear why he dies and there's a big funeral for him because because he was in the army there's this big elaborate military funeral which i have not read the death of arthur but i guarantee there's a big elaborate military yeah yeah absolutely none of none of the none of danny's found family these guys that he lives with in the house can go to the funeral because their clothes are crummy and they and they're not they going right. to go to the funeral. They literally won't embarrass themselves by going into the funeral wearing bad clothes. All of a sudden, right. for the first time in their lives, they're aware of how crummy their clothes look. And I thought that, yeah. that part's very sympathetic because you're like, okay, this, this is not just people who are like bums, for lack of a better word. Is This is people who have like a self-respect in a weird way and like weird rules that are different than mine. And I don't know. I thought that part was very sympathetic. So. I thought but, so, too. Um,
1: and, and I thought I thought the ending was genius. And it makes sense, you know?
0: It did. I thought, Camelot's the, ending gone, gone. Right? I thought the ending was... Is- ending was- so I, I used the phrase just now, found family. And I think kind mm-hmm. of like people like to fantasize about the apocalypse because I think people in today's world just have too much and they don't really worry about their material comforts and things, so they fantasize about a time when all they had to worry about was survival. I think that a lot right. of people today... Either don't like their families or aren't very close to their families. And so there's this huge mm-hmm. literature and film corpus of movies that are about having a family that you chose and then having the mm-hmm. values of a family. But in reality, our families, we don't get to choose them. So they tend to be some people that maybe we don't like that much. And you're supposed to have sure, yeah. you're supposed to have this loyalty to all these people, and nobody really mm-hmm. enjoys that. So what they what they fantasize about is making friends with some strangers off the street like in the movie as good as it gets i always think of mm-hmm. that as being the first example that i remember of found family where like right. it's That's just a bunch life. of people live in the same apartment building and they all bond together and become friends and like each other and become loyal to one another it's an enti- it's a total fantasy it's not how reality works at all right bad enough being family with your actual biological family much less right. strangers that you pull off the street but I think this is another common modern fantasy is the, the fantasy of found family. And I think we have that in this book. People I think so too. Yeah, bond together and have this sort of familiar relation. I think maybe should we talk about, did you have a biggest surprise? Did you have anything going into this that surprised that you expected? Well, my biggest
1: surprise is really more about Steinbeck himself. About Me too. Me too. Book. It's all about
0: Steinbeck. All my surprises were Steinbeck yeah. related, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect from the book. So I went in kind of cold. I suppose I didn't know the book As wasn't Henry Rowe, but. And uh, I picked it up and I was like, oh, wait, that's not the book I meant to read. Well, whatever. So I just went ahead. Oh, whatever.
1: Song. Yeah. No, I'm glad we I'm glad we, we read this one. Um, so my biggest surprise was uh, I didn't realize he was such a prolific film writer. Oh, um, it's exact- literally
0: exactly what my surprise is. You, oh, really? you're, you're 100% of co is 100% what my surprise is. I, mean, I had he's, no he's, idea. I had no idea.
1: Like I said, Viva Sabata
0: was was I, I was like, what? He wrote that? the one that got me was he wrote lifeboat lifeboat <laughs> right? lifeboat's like one of my favorite hitchcock movies it's 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 so yes. good people have redone it they've redone it in other settings like i watched one that was lifeboat in space with the same kind of plot and he took his name off of the movie because he thought it was too racist and i i was trying to remember the movie i was like what was were there there was a journal yeah
1: i was i wanted to i wanted to go and, and look at that after after yeah the, uh, yeah I, had to, yeah, I was that thinking part. the exact same thing. Oh, that's funny. He wrote the screenplay for Mice and Men, Grapes of Wrath, a Tortilla oh, yeah. Flat, East of Eden. You know, you don't have a lot of authors that contribute that much.
0: No, we we made some comments about Eric Marie Remark being involved with All Quiet on the Western Front and with Longest right. Day. And so there are other serious authors that got mm-hmm. involved in early Hollywood. But I think, and, and, and since, since we both have the same surprise, I'm just going to run with this. I don't, you know, we both yeah. seem to be on the same page here. Sure. I think when, when he won the Pulitzer, right? He won it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, not the Pulitzer. Won the Nobel Prize. Nobel the yeah, the Prize Nobel. early on, and I don't think anybody really had a problem with that. Grapes of Wrath seemed seemed deserving, but he later won the Nobel Prize for Literature in '62. And boy, people! You read the quotes people had about. Yeah. It. I, I, went, I went down the rabbit hole a little bit reading what people were talking <laughs> yeah. about. They were not. They were like, "Oh, he was the best of a bad bunch."
1: Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> best that. of a bad lot.
0: Yeah, I looked at the other people that were nominated. One of them was Robert Graves, you know, who wrote I, Claudius and a whole bunch of other really good historical fiction. So I don't think I mean, I don't know if he's Nobel Prize worthy, but Steinbeck, in hindsight, 100 percent is Nobel Prize worthy. I mean, who yeah. else is writing something in 19? And I, I think that I think the reason people look down on it is because I think a lot of Europeans turned up their nose at the fact that he was so involved in Hollywood. I think they saw yeah. him as being, you know, a part of Hollywood. I mean, he's writing movies for Hitchcock. He's right. What was the other? Oh yeah, Viva Zapata. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. which this seems to fit in part and parcel with some of the other work he did. But uh, I, I, I think that's why they turn their noses up at him, especially that might European,
1: might be. I mean, European. they mentioned his predecessors. So you've got like Hemingway and Fitzgerald, Faulkner, right? Uh-huh. And he fits in with 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 those three, especially because, like I said, you know they they were writing about they were writing about more than. What it what it appeared to be. I mean, they were writing about a human, how the qualities of humanity, right? Um, the sun also rises, especially Faulkner, as, as I Hemingway think Faulkner, is.
0: Faulkner as a writer, Faulkner mm-hmm. stands above those other two in terms of just actually being on like the very cutting edge of great prose at the time, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, no, um, I, I'm not, I'm, I not, mean, I'm, not anyway, I'm not arguing that. Yeah, I mean Hemingway I, and Steinbeck,
0: I think, are are the same guy. I think they're the same quality. I think they're very similar writers. Yeah. I, I,
1: I'm just saying that they, they write about conditions that you can universally identify,
0: right? Yes.
1: As being part of our struggle, you know, and that's sort of like, that's why to me, my bachelor's in literature, my my master's and PhD in rhetoric, you know, I, I don't look at this. I look at this beyond just like what it appears, Paisanos, California Mexicans or whatever, I look at it beyond that and look at like, what, what's happening? What is he trying to say with this? What is he trying to do with it? And it's just, these are just people like, this is a person, this is what people do. And that's sort of what he's trying to say. And and yeah, it's funny. And there's some stupid outlandish stuff going on, but these are, you know, friends, this is caring, this is empathy. This is, you know, they, they might seem this way, but then they, you know, then they, as a group, they love each other and, and they care for each other and they're, you know, and then they have compassion for, or like the dogs and I, this is a human thing, right? And I think that's what, sort of what he was trying to show there. And I think that's what he does in all of his books. And I, I can't remember who, but there was one of the, when he won the Nobel, one of them acknowledged that. Like he 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 makes books that, or he writes books that are about more than just a particular thing. It's about who we are, you know, it's about our story. Right in our conditions and our qualities and what makes us fallible and sympathetic. I really wish. You
0: know? I really wish that I would read, or that I, at this point, I am wishing that I had read *Grapes of Wrath*. I've never read it. I read *Of Mice and Men*. I read mm-hmm. *The Red Pony*. I've read this now. I've got *Cannery Row* on the shelf. I want to read that later. But I really, in terms of talking about Steinbeck, I feel like I'm kind of a dope without having read *Grapes of Wrath*. <laughs> okay. like, you know, I'm. Of,
1: I'm the same way, I, and I've I've read all of those too. I mean, in high school, I read, uh, you know, of mice and men, and I think Red Pony. I think I read in like middle school or something. Wasn't that the
0: do one? The, do you remember the great big fuzzy orange Red creature Red on uh, in, Bun- in Bugs Bunny? Yes, it's like I yes. will, love it I will name you,
1: you, George. Forward. Yeah, that was that was Lenny. Yeah, totally. Lenny. Yeah, that's a
0: reference to yeah. of mice and men. I, I did not get yeah. that when I was a little. kid. You never because,
1: got that. I've no. seen the movie. The movie is great. The, the, the remake with uh, Gary Sinise and uh, John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, right. fantastic, it's a fantastic movie. And it's East well, of Eden is, is pretty amazing, too. So,
0: East of well, Eden you is, know, yeah. well, East, of, East of Eden, I was surprised. I, it's not really like a relevant big surprise, but I was surprised to read. I, was, I knew James Dean's big movie was East of Eden. Yeah, I did not Eden, know yeah. it was the John Steinbeck movie, I didn't associate yeah. it to. Never seen a James Dean movie in my life. The but, other surprise was. i do
1: it. He he was um, in the original of Mice and Men. George's oh. character was played by Burgess Meredith.
0: Yeah, and, and then he, buddies, and he, became,
1: yeah. he and yeah. he, he and he uh, and Steinbeck became best friends. And all I that's could so think about cool. was, come on, Rocky. Yeah, get him weak and legs. <laughs> yeah, weak and legs. You know, that's all I could think. <laughs> of. was like, he's buddies with Steinbeck. How would that work out? Yeah, <laughs> to him, go out drinking sometime.
0: You know, remember, uh, do you remember the movie uh, Mr. Mom? Is the fact <laughs> he's like. Like, I was watching Rocky the other day. He's like, well, which Rocky? He's like, I don't remember. And he's like, well, was his manager alive or was his manager dead? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Never seen uh, Rocky. That,
1: that's a good movie. That that doesn't get a, as much credit as yeah. it deserves. But no, okay, no. so the big question. Well, anyway,
0: so the big question, and this is for you, because I, you know, I, I feel like my thoughts on whether this is a classic would be relevant, but I'm just going to put it in your court as we do on the yeah. show, the foisty the voice tea has all the power, so of course. Of what course. do you think? Should this one be a classic? I mean, my <laughs> my main piece of argument in favor of it is first Steinbeck novel. This this yeah. is the we don't get grapes of wrath if we don't get tortilla flat.
1: Right. I think you're
0: absolutely right. Um, and, and by the way, both he, of us never having read Grapes of Wrath have huge respect for this comedy. We, <laughs> we just need
1: to shut very, the hell up. Very my intelligent of Let, let's, say a, let's say a bison man. You don't get there this, you don't get a bison man because we read that one. No, you're right. Because That's only he like actually, 150
0: pages, of course. We yeah. We don't, we don't read. <laughs> if
1: I remember correctly, he was trying to write. He had a job. He couldn't quite write. So his dad, basically they loaned him money. So yep. that he could, he could quit work and start writing. He wrote this novel, gave him enough money to really do it, you know, to really this become is why our uh, country
0: this is why our country needs a nobility is why we can't tax the rich. Cause they that's to right. to loans To their, to their
1: children. Yes. Yeah. So they'll either, beca- either become like uh, Murdoch. No Murdoch. Yeah. Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Okay. Anyway, so we'll get those people or we'll get a Stein deck, but I guess it's a toss up anyway. So yeah, if you don't get this, you don't get of mice and men right? and others. Like you said, the elephant in the room is that this has been criticized for. Well, criticized quite a bit. If you if you look up like tortilla flat racism or controversy, there's a lot of articles oh, out there okay. about it. It's now they're okay. they're not by anybody substantial. They'll be like on Medium or Slate or something stupid like that. So nobody okay. that you've ever heard of will have written about it. And all of them have blue hair and a nose okay. ring. So whatever, do with it as you will. But there is a a bit of a bit of controversy about it. However, you know, I think it's just too important, a novel, putting him on the map. And then plus, when you read it, you're like, man, it's just, I can't write like that. I wish I could. It's just amazing writing. So,
0: yeah, yeah I, it's, I, I it's say very this. much. It's very much like the prose is very much like Hemingway. It's stripped down. It's pretty simple. But I think the themes... There's almost like this mythical quality to Steinbeck's writing that doesn't he exist. he he gets anyway, he gets just, a li- the man took the fish I would
1: I would say I would say more metaphysical than mythical. He gets yeah yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah. An, he yeah. he really gets yeah. into philosophy yeah. in a lot of these things, and he talks about well, it's a man's condition to look at the stars, and he ta- and, you know and he talks about and he sort of waxes on about about it, and you don't know if it's like if it's them saying it, like you know in their in their portended ho- nobility, or if it's if it's well, the according, narrator, according,
0: right. According to some of the critics, when he won the Nobel Prize, he was guilty of tenth rate philosophizing. Right. I don't know. If that's <laughs> right. fair. I don't know if that's fair, but uh yeah, he's definitely well, doing something. Like you said, maybe Edmund, maybe I, I
1: point would point. I would like to see a first rate philosophizer in 1960, right. whatever. Anyway, yeah, I am toasting this classic, so
0: Derrida. It would be Derrida, I think, would be your yeah. sure. first
1: Derrida was the bane of my PhD. I'll bet.
0: I'll bet. This is why I'm glad I never achieved any higher education, so I avoided things like Derrida.
1: <laughs> never achieved higher education. Well, well okay. not
0: higher education. Not
1: I never a master's achieved, degree. Master's degree. Yeah, AD yeah. But I never went into
0: I, right? I never went into the ivory towers of academia. Let's just say. I, yeah. You know, yes. Yes. I read wow. a, I read a lot of books, and people gave me pieces of paper, but that's not the same thing. <laughs> I didn't get to learn well, about the, it. the
1: nice thing about Derry Daw is you can use Derry you could use Derry Daw against him if you want to be relative about things I can be relative about Derry Daw very easily so you
0: absolutely could be yeah all That's right well you could, you could turn his own game back on him so it sounded to me like you were giving a vote in favor of this yeah I'm toasting
1: it absolutely I'm okay. toasting okay. it this right. is we're definitely classic we are
0: classic. toasting this classic so I will clink my bottle with clink. my glass. I don't know if that all was all right. you. ended up just drinking red wine, I guess, but whatever. I, you know, I'm liking Grappa more than I did the first time.
1: Maybe it's, good it's stuff.
0: the quality of good the stuff. company and the conversation, but I'm enjoying my Grappa this time. Could so. be. That's it for episode 70 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, stay tuned to find out what we'll be drinking for the movie Clint picks. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know whether you think this book is racist. Check out my blog at TheAttractiveNuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at, at Nuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.